Second Kings chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. For those who haven't been hearing me speak in the last few times I've been speaking, I've been talking to our church wherever I've been around the topic of worship. I remember when I was a kid, I used to listen to Jack Hayford on Radio Rima, and every time I hear him, he would often come back to this theme of worship. And I wondered why that was. In fact, last year, I actually got to meet Jack Hayford. It's a funny story, but I was in the toilet (laughs) in Brian Houston's home in Sydney when the toilet was right beside the front door and I heard a knock at the door and so I cleaned myself up as you do, try not to spill anything on yourself because when you're in the bishop's home you want to look good, you know. I come out of the toilet and standing right there at the front door is Brian Houston, Pastor Brian Houston and standing next to him is an elderly man and he's obviously aged a lot in the time that, you know, since I started listening to his sermons and so I'm standing there and uh, Pastor Brian just looks at me because I'm the first person to walk up and goes do you know who that is? And just points at the elderly man standing in his front door. I've just come out of the bathroom. I'm feeling a little bit nervous that I'm in Brian Houston's house. Now I've just come out of the bathroom in Brian Houston's house. Brian Houston is standing at the door, pointing at me and saying, do you know who that is? You know, in those moments, words are not forthcoming. I mean, they would be for some people. Brent's hearing me speak right now. My brother would have had the answer right there, right then. But I'm here to tell you that I'm not that guy. I'm just sitting there. I have no answer. I'm thinking, I think, I think it might be Jack Hayford. But I don't want to say it's Jack Hayford. Because what if it's not Jack Hayford? So I just thought I'd just keep my mouth shut. And after about two or three seconds, Pastor Brian let me off and goes, it's Jack Hayford. I said, I knew it was Jack Hayford. But I'll never forget Jack Hayford saying that regularly he felt the need in the life of his church to come back to the theme of worship. That every year, he said annually, he had to bring the people back to the simple theme of worship. Over the last few times that I've been speaking, I've been really trying to do this because in my heart, I feel like we must always remember that as Christians, what defines us is our worship. I want you to understand that you and I need to worship God. He does not need us to worship Him. In fact, put another way, nothing changes about God when we worship Him. It's not like His, you know, He's not, you know, what's that little character, you know, that the the kids watch on Playhouse Disney? I can feel your energy. Move with me. I can feel your energy. What is that? But bow on the go, bow on the go. When the kids move with bow on the go, bow on the go gets more energy, like like the preacher meter in my background this morning. You can see, basically right now I've got to laugh, so I'm here. And the lights progressively darken. If I get you to stand to your feet and shout amen, then I get right up to there. And bow on the go has got one of the energy meters. It's not like that with God. He's not like they're up in heaven going, oh, move with me, worship me, worship me. I can feel your energy because you're worshiping me. It's it's not like that with God. Nothing changes about God when we worship Him. How many people know that? But everything changes about us when we worship Him. In fact, the Bible says that God ascends in the shouts of praise of His people. In other words, when we begin to praise and to worship God, there He turns up in our lives. And that changes everything. It changes nothing about God, but everything about our lives. So I've been bringing us back to the simple truth, you and I, in fact, as Christians, you need to understand what defines a Christian is not a WWJD bracelet, but a worship relationship with the creator of the universe. 
The fact that we can worship Him, the fact that we do worship Him, changes everything about the way that we live. In fact, whenever the Bible gives instructions on what we are to be like as believers, the majority of the instruction is always about our worship. I want you to worship this way. I want you to worship me. I want you to pour out your life in worship. It's all about worship. And here in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, is a passage of Scripture that before I even began to speak and think about this series of messages, this passage just spoke into my heart and I wanted to be part of this series. In 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He called his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to her, tell me, what have you, go- you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Do not mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the ne- about the time next year, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day went out to his dad, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me to one of the servants and send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. So why go to him today? He said, it's not a new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. And all four centers here in this message, I want you to say those three words with me. It's all right. One, two, three. It's all right. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, do not slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God in Mount Carmel. When he saw in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there is the Shunammite. Run and meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God on the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress and the Lord is hidden from me and has not told me why. Didn't I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, do not raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Come down to verse 32. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he, got, then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself upon him, the boy's, boy, the boy's body became warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. 
The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Gehazi, sorry, Elisha summoned, summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell down at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then he took his son and went out. You know, as I was reading this passage of scripture, I was just reminded that in February of this year, from this very passage, another sermon was preached from this exact same stage. I think God's speaking this morning. Do you believe that? Father, we pray that as we turn to your word this morning, that you would turn up in every heart and every life, in every building, every center that is hearing this in Christchurch right now. Let the presence of God fill the room in Hamilton. Let the theater be filled with your glory in the Capity Coast. I'm asking you right now for your presence to fall. Let eyes be opened, let hearts be changed, let us be transformed by your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's an amazing passage of scripture about a time when Elisha was regularly passing by a place called Shunem. The Bible tells us that Elisha is a prophet. He stands in the office of a prophet. He's literally called by God to bring his word to people. He symbolizes for us in our reading this morning the presence of God and the word of God, the object of our worship. He represents for us the, the coming of God into our lives. The Bible tells us that Elisha comes to this woman in the area of Shunem and she sees him going by and she says to herself, The prophet is passing me by. I better make sure that I give him a meal. Something within this woman triggers that when God passes you by, you bless God. She, she understood that there's something very powerful about having God pass you by. The man, Elisha, obviously is not God, but for the sake of our sermon this morning, he represents the presence of God passing us by and the need in our lives for a response to God. I want you to understand, my friends, that fundamentally that's what worship is. Worship is our response to the stirring of the Creator. Worship is our hospitality to God. Worship is about the fact that when God passes us by, we don't leave Him on the street without a meal. When God draws close to us, when God passes us by, that our hearts respond to His arrival. We don't just let God move through our lives with kind of an ambient sense of, wow, that was a curious moment. So many Christians stand even in a church service like this one and we're singing songs and lifting God up and there's an exaltation and worship been happening in four different places right now. And as we're reaching out to God, I'm here to tell you that God was passing us by. His presence began to move and there was two different responses. There always is whenever God draws close to people. Are you hearing me this morning? There are those who when God passes them by are like this woman and say, I have to bring God something. He is passing me by and I cannot let him just come and go without being hospitable to him. There are some people who just watch him pass by, let him pass by. But others who reach out to this God when he reaches their lives and say, I want something of God to get into him. I, I, gotta, I gotta respond to him. God is moved by people who are hospitable to His arrival. He is looking for people who, when He draws close, are going to respond to Him in worship. Whether it's a closing of the eyes, whether it's just literally the opening of a heart. I, I just know that you can tell, not necessarily in the gesture, but in the countenance of a person, 
when there is a response to heaven. Does anybody hear what I'm saying to them this morning? God is looking for our response to him in worship. And the amazing thing about this passage is that the woman feeds the prophet. And then the Bible says that whenever the prophet came back the same way, that he would come back to the house. Because what you feed returns to you. Every parent in the room knows this to be true. Doesn't matter how old your kids are. When I'm in Christchurch, I stay at my mum and dad's house. They're sitting on the front row. But I arrive at their home, get dropped off in a car, quarter past 11. My dad, he gets up early. He's in bed. Mum's in bed. Mum might not even, you know, she might be looking after grandchildren. But anyway, I'll be, I'll be walking into the house. The first thing I do is I go to the fridge and I open it. Because what they fed returns to them. And it's the same in everything in life. What you feed returns to you. If you feed your hurt, it'll return. If you feed cynicism, it'll return. If you feed your woundedness, your deservedness, then it'll return. But if you feed God, if you feed the Word of God, if you feed worship, see, this, this is the difference between Christians who've had a moment and Christians who live with moments. See, they had a moment, a touch, a tingle. A, a, it's... it's it's about when the lights go on. See, I'll never forget when worship finally made sense for me. I've been a Christian for maybe two years before I ever got worship. I used to read the New Testament. In fact, I'd memorize chapters of the New Testament before I ever got worship. But I'll never forget, I was sitting in Swanson in Auckland and right out the back in a car reading the Psalms. And for the first time when I read a Psalm, it came alive to me and I had a moment. And I knew that I wasn't reading words to just decipher technical terms or to learn more about the scriptures, but that I was actually having a moment where I was reading a word that expressed worship for God and entering into it. I knew that there was a moment. I knew God was passing me by. I'm so grateful that in my life, maybe the age of 18 or possibly 19, that I fed that moment. I fed it. I fed worship. Because what you feed returns to you. See, my friends, when God comes to us in moments of our lives, when, when, when you're watching the, the promo DVD, everything changes. When, 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 when God comes to you in seconds and hours and times when you know that He's there in your life, feed that moment. Because what you feed returns to you. And because this woman fed God, God returned, the word of the Lord returned to her in her life. Oh, my friends, the question for us is, would God want to come back to our house? Would he feel hospitable around us? Oh, my friends, this is what God is looking for in our lives, is a life that reaches out to God when he turns up in our world. And then the Bible says that this prophet keeps coming back and the woman does something so powerful. She says, well, man, if God's going to keep turning up back in my life, then I better build a room for God. Oh, I, got, I got to make sure that when he comes to my house, he doesn't just arrive there, have a meal and leave. I want him to have a room where he can stay. If there's one thing and we need in our lives, it is a room for God. Well, worship responds, calls to us that we would make a room for God, that we would open up our hearts to Him, our lives to Him, that we would make room in our lives for Jesus. Little did this woman know that she wasn't just constructing a room, she was building a literal miracle room. She was creating an environment for God to step into her life 
and do what only God can. Those who are friendly to the presence of God come to realize in their lives that there are some things you cannot obtain in and of yourself. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't deserve it. But what we need in our lives is that miracle from heaven. And here we find this woman builds in her life a miracle room for God. It it takes time to build a miracle room. It costs you something to build a miracle room. It takes time to build a miracle room. It costs you to build a miracle room. And God is looking in our lives for our response to Him to build a miracle room that He can dwell in. Miracle rooms don't come cheap. You don't build a miracle room just by throwing out you know, a few sheets of corrugated iron on the side of the house. It's not the lean-to. It's not a garden shed. Miracle rooms have to be built well. They have to be constructed with excellence. And the Bible tells us, that this miracle room was constructed by this woman on the roof of her house. She had to add a story on in order to build it. Miracle rooms are built in our lives through the Word and through worship. I might be struggling to connect this with some people because you've got to understand that I'm not preaching here just about a life that's about Bible principles. Of course we're going to preach that. But this is about a heart's relationship with the King of the universe. And if you're on the outside looking in at that, if you just got religiousity and not a living relationship with Jesus, then it seems confusing. But what I know is that there are people, I want to be one of them, who build rooms in their life for God to dwell. Rooms that aren't ordinary rooms. They don't, they don't, they aren't consumed with just cooking and cleaning or sleeping or entertainment or socializing. But people who have the presence of Jesus in their lives build rooms that God dwells in. Habitations for the miraculous. They build spaces in their world where God can hang out with them. If you haven't got a miracle room, you can start making one today. If your word and the worship become real in your life, then from this moment forward, everything could change because every believer needs a miracle room. If it's just what you get when you come to church on a Sunday, you'll never get the true thing that God wants for you in your life because you're passing by. He's passing by. You can hear the Word of the Lord as it passes by. But God's got more for every believer than that. He wants to make His home in our hearts. He wants to come and hang out. He's looking for people who are going to build a miracle room that He can dwell in. I can be with you. I can come anytime I like. This woman went through the exercise. My friends, it takes word and it takes worship and the construction method is time. (laughs) In our microwave generation, where like me, I put a piece of frozen bread in the microwave, put it in there to make the kids lunches on a Monday morning. Why is it always Monday morning that there's no bread ready to go? Probably because Sunday's a chaos, but you get the, the bread, you put it in the microwave and then for 20 seconds, you're waiting as it goes... And I'm standing in front of it going, hurry up. I got a meeting starting at nine o'clock. It takes an hour to get there. You know, and there's my little bread and it's taking all this time. We want everything to be quick, but you can't microwave. God. Firstly, it doesn't fit in there. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, he doesn't buy into our sense of hurriedness. But we've got to make a decision in our lives. Do we want to build... A miracle room for him to dwell in. 
This woman said, man, he's passing by. We've fed him. He keeps coming back. But let's take it to the next level. Hubby, let's make him feel at home here. Let's give him a permanent place where anytime he wants, he can just turn up in our lives. The first thing that happened to me after begin to be awakened to God was to begin the construction of my miracle room when I used to get up early in the morning when we lived in Mount Albert in Auckland and I would pray early in the mornings and apparently I made too much noise. But when I was praying, when I was reading my Bible at the age of 18 and 19, I was starting on a miracle room. I was building a miracle room. Well, it wasn't just prayer, it wasn't just devotions. I was building a miracle room. I was getting a place ready for God to come and hang out. And it's like, well, this, this block might take me five hours, but I'm going to get another block done on my miracle room. There's no formula either, but it's about saying, well, I'm just going to devote my life to the construction of my miracle room. In the, in the middle of February, I just felt like God said to me, fast Twitter, fast Facebook, read the Bible cover to cover before you open your Bible again. I've just joined Twitter again in the last couple of days, but for the last two months, I haven't been looking at any media. I haven't been watching any television. I've been missing the Hurricanes games. This is a massive price tag. I've been going without, but what I've been doing is building my miracle room because it takes time to build a miracle room. It takes devotion to build a miracle room. It's about a deeper life of worship that makes a place for God to live in. I want you to understand in our lives that there's only one place you can build your miracle room. I I want you to understand that when you and I come to build a miracle room for God, you can't build a miracle room as as an extension. God is not the west wing. He's not the east wing. He's not the extra bit outside. When this woman says, let's build a room on our house, She's speaking to you and me about the only place where you can make room for God. And that's got to be above. God is not an extension. He is an elevation. Come on. If we're going to make room for God to live, if we're going to make room for God to live, there's only one place we can make it. And that is to build it above. We, we cannot go wider to make space for God. He's got to be higher. We're not adding something extra into our lives. We're lowering everything else. The preeminent view, the number one point, the highest height has got to be the room that God lives in. There's only one way to build a miracle room, and that's to place it above. Place it above our thinking. Place it above our daily routine. Place it above our our marriage, our family, our finances, our life, our concerns. We have to put the miracle room above everything else. Then in verse 11, the Bible tells us that one day Elisha came to the woman's house and lay down in his room. We, we could preach that. That could just be it. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that this woman made a room for God, for the man of God, symbolizing in our lives the presence of God, and that he literally came and just hung out there? He laid down there? He just turned up and decided, I'm not going to, I'm just going to lie down. I'm going to hang out in my miracle room. I sense the, the struggle for people to get their heads around this is to recognize that God is actually looking to make his home in our hearts. He actually does not just want to, us to have religianity. He doesn't just want us to put ticks in boxes of church attendance. 
He actually wants to take us deeper. He wants to make His home in our lives. And the Bible tells us that this woman made her miracle room and that God came and hung out. He laid down. That's amazing because you always want to bless the place where you hang out. Oh man, if you could get this straight in your head this morning that wherever you hang out in life, you want it to get better. I love Wellington, I love Christchurch, I love Hamilton, and wherever I hang out, I want it to get better. Nobody ever moved into a house and said, we're going to make this worse than when we moved in, unless they are the devil or one of those neighbors from hell. But you know, when you move into your house, you always want to improve it, always want to bless it, always want to increase it. And here the Bible says that Elisha is just hanging out in his bed, he's lying down, And by verse 11, he's lying down. But by verse 13, he's saying, what can be done for you? You built the room. You built the room. Now what can be done for you? Oh man, listen. Wow. Because this is a rich chick. She's got bling. This is a rich chick. This woman is not a a widow. She's not impoverished. She's not in need. She's a well-to-do woman. In other words, she's highbrow. She's having high tea at the hotel. She's she's got it going on. Her husband's rolling in it. She's got servants. Enough that her husband will let them go from the paddock and take her to the prophet. She's a rich chick. And God turns up in her life and says, what can be done for you because of what you've done for me? In other words, he's not emphasizing her need. He's emphasizing her deservedness. Wow, because now we start to understand that God's response to the construction of a miracle room is to bless the place where He feels at home. So so miracles come into our lives, church, not just because we are worthy of the miracle, but because we make a home for God in our lives. He is looking for people who are going to make Him feel at home so that He then is triggered to bring the miracle into our lives. Elijah goes up, he lies down, he wants to bless the place where he hangs out because you always have a heart for where you feel at home. What can be done for you? Miracle room causes miracles. From the miracle room came a miracle. Miracles cause, miracle rooms cause miracles. From the miracle room came a miracle. Because this woman wanted uh, the presence of God in her life and because she built this room, then things began to happen in her life. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration is literally so transfigured that he begins to glow. And then the disciples come down the mountain. When they come down the mountain, the other nine disciples have been trying to cast a demon out of a boy. And it's an amazing thing to understand, my friends, that miracles come from the miracle room. Miracles come from the miracle room. So here they come down the mountain. They're confronted with the situation. And the boy's father comes to Jesus, this boy who has these seizures. And the father comes to Jesus and says, if you can do anything to help us, help us. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. If you can, anything is possible for him who believes. And the boy's father says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He's saying, I recognize that a miracle is possible, but I haven't got a miracle room. And Jesus says, well, because you put one block there, because you laid down before me, then you started to build your miracle room and miracles come from the miracle room. And the disciples then come to Jesus and say, well, hang on a minute. 
Why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus said, what? This kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, you have to make a home for God in your heart. You have to pay a price. You have to enter into my presence. You can't microwave this. You can't want to have miraculous power and never worship the God of the miracle. You can't never spend any time in the miracle room and expect miracles to break out everywhere you go. You have to devote your life to the miracle room if you want the miracle to come to your world. And man, I reckon God is looking for some people in New Zealand who are gonna say, I'm not just gonna let God pass me by. I'm not gonna let him just wander through my life. I'm not just gonna allow him to drift in and drift out. But when he gets near me, I'm gonna feed him. Once I've fed him, I'm gonna build a home for him. His presence is gonna come and live with me. And miracles are gonna happen in my life. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Our God wants to turn up in our lives. Could it be that we could believe that we would not just build an ordinary church? I don't want to build a church that's just ordinary. Love hearing stories this morning in our praise reports here in Wellington of prayers that have been prayed and answered. Because this is supposed to be a miracle room. This is our corporate miracle room. In Hamilton, that's your miracle room. And then we build a private miracle room. And God wants believers who are going to be defined not just by the events of their lives, but by the miracle rooms in their lives. Who, Who... Curry, unusual favor, who step into blessing beyond what they deserve, who, who see the hand of God move in their lives in ways with which they feel perhaps unable to access, but get because of the presence of God in their world. A miracle room moved this woman from natural success to supernatural favor. See, in the natural, this woman's already successful, but she can't succeed her way to a son. See, in our lives, there are things that you can't just succeed your way into them. You can't just earn it. Sir, no matter how much resolve you have in your life, no matter how hardworking you are, you can't bring miracles into your world. Being hardworking is good. The Bible says you should be. But God doesn't want us to just be studious and hardworking. He wants us to be miraculous. He wants us to bring what we could never earn or profit our way to into our lives. And it comes by building a miracle room. This woman went from highly successful to supernaturally favored. The favor of God comes from a miracle room. The blessing of God flows from the miracle room. The touch of heaven in our lives comes from the miracle room. The unobtainable comes from the miracle room. What the money cannot buy, a miracle room can provide. So in verse 18, the Bible tells us that this woman is visited by God, feeds him, builds a home for him, a miracle room, gets a miracle from the miracle room. And then it finally says in verse 18, that tragedy strikes. This woman who's been given this great gift has something go wrong in her life. I think for every person hearing this, you need to understand the significance. I truly believe that at this moment in this woman's life is when we see the power of her miracle room. In our lives, it's not when life goes well that our miracle room comes into play. 
It's when it goes awry. It's when you can't figure things out that the miracle room is the most needed. When I was a young believer, in fact, my, all my life really, I've been a poor sleeper. So I, I always wake up during the night. And I made a decision as a young believer that if I woke in the night, it was because God wanted my attention. So I just made a decision that if God wakes me, He gets me. So if I sleep, I sleep. But if I wake, I wake for Him. So no movies, no TV, no, no just reading stuff. If I'm awake in the night, I'm awake for Jesus. So I, I would pray, read my Bible, worship, put on worship CDs. Just try to just spend time in the presence of God because that's my miracle room. It's, it's amazing to have in your life a miracle room. Because the Bible tells us that when this woman experiences tragedy, can you imagine being given this miracle and then having your husband send the boy who's complaining of a headache, he comes back home and she holds his son in her lap and this boy just flat out dies. What does she do? See, what do you do when life doesn't work, when it's not going the way that you want? What do you do when it comes unstuck? Because if you've got nowhere to go, then it's a very bad day. But this woman... All she knew was to do what she had, and that's to grab the boy in her arms and to walk up the stairs. And the Bible says she laid her dead son on the prophet's bed and then walked out and shut the door. There are moments in your life where you have to take your problem to the miracle room, leave it there, and then shut the door. There are seasons where you can't figure it out. And it's beyond our comprehension and the problem defies a natural solution. But what doesn't have a natural solution always has a supernatural solution. Our God is not partially sufficient. He is all sufficient, always able, never lacks the power. And so this woman takes this problem. I don't know what your problem is, but I know that you can take it to the miracle room. You can take a broken marriage to the miracle room. You can take a broken finances to the miracle room. You can take ill health to the miracle room. And then she shuts the door. She walks out and she says to her husband, it's all right. So well, I think what made this passage come so alive in my heart is that I know what it feels like to be this woman. I never forget returning home one day, opening my mailbox and finding in there the, the massive document of paper that told Jillian and I that we had a leaky home and a $280,000 repair bill on the first home that we'd ever bought with a first home buyer's deposit and realizing that we were hundreds of thousands of dollars short on being able to repair what they said was the problem with our home and knowing that I had a problem that was death in my life and bigger than I could naturally comprehend it. But I'm glad that I'd spent not just the last few days, but the last years of my life getting ready. I didn't realize I'd been getting ready. I had no idea that I'd been getting ready. All I knew was that God was waking me in the night. All I knew was that when you're a Christian, you read the Bible. You put blocks in a miracle room. You grow in your intimacy with God. So when it all fell apart and I couldn't sleep, I took the problem to the miracle room. That was the only place I could take it was to the miracle room. I put it in the miracle room. I'll never forget walking into church the next Sunday morning. Got the letter, six o'clock on a Saturday night, walking into church the next Sunday morning and having to put a smile on my face and literally just say, it's all right. 
There's a dead son in the miracle room. But it's all right. You can't help me, but that room can change me. That can't fix me, but this can transform me. I can't get it from here, but I've already got it in there. It's all right. It's in the miracle room. Oh my gosh, somebody's realizing that their life isn't defined just by some setback or tragedy or circumstance, but there is a miracle room where you can take the impossible to. Somebody give Jesus some praise this morning, church. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of miracles. Grab a seat. I'll never forget flying to, to Melbourne one, one morning when my son had been sick the night before and getting to Melbourne and calling Jillian and saying, you've got to go to the doctor. The sickness, it's not just the flu. She goes to the doctor and she gives me a call about an hour later. I'm driving in a car in the middle of East Melbourne. And she says to me, we're going our way to the airport. They say he might have this sickness called Guillain Barre. I, I, I say to my driver, have you ever heard of a sickness called Guillain Barre? He said, heard of it. I had it. They carried me into the hospital at the age of 14. I couldn't walk again until I was 17. I had to have things on my legs to teach me, you know, like Forrest Gump, to teach me how to walk again. And it was just this whole tragedy in my life. He'd had it. I'd never heard of it. He drops me in my hotel room what do you do what do you do when you're trying to wait till the next flight back to Wellington and you got to wait till the next morning answer you go to the miracle room I spent that night in that miracle room I prayed all night slept for maybe two hours or one that whole night but I spent my time in the miracle room and about half past three in the morning saying you've got to come to this miracle room God I need you to come I need your word in my life I can't fix this but you can you are the God of miracles and then begin to claim every scripture on healing in the Bible and declaring it over my son and I'll never forget at half past three in the morning realizing that I was having a picture in my mind some sort of vision of a Boy, now up until this time, Will had always been a normal height. But I saw a picture of a teenager, tall, blonde hair, head above other people, confident, surrounded by friends, big smile on his face. And I knew that God was saying that he was going to be healed and it would be all right. I got on the plane the next morning. I came home. You know, my son now is like literally a head taller than all the kids in his class. He is literally walking in the picture that I got at half past three in the morning. And I can't guarantee his hair will always be blonde, but I know he's healed. And that's enough. But this is what I know is that God is looking for people who are going to understand that he passes you by for you to feed him. And when you feed him, he returns. And when he returns, you build him a room. And when you build him a room, you get a miracle. And when you get a miracle, you can get another miracle. He's got a miracle room. And this morning that God is looking for people who are going to live in a miracle room, build a miracle room. This woman, she shut out every voice. She just shut the door. Sometimes you can't talk to people about what's wrong. I'm not saying you can't talk to your upline. I'm not saying you can't talk to a few confidants. But this woman, she won't talk to her husband about it. She won't talk to Gehazi about it. She must have had a discerning character. She just gets to the prophet, falls down on her knees and said, you told me that you'd give me a son. And he says, take the stuff and run. I didn't read it out this morning because I read out so much scripture, but 
Elijah says, you go. And he says, she says, I will not leave you. I need you to come with me. Now that is awesome. Because she's saying, all I need is God in my miracle room. I don't need a doctor's report. I don't need a different bank statement. I need God in my miracle room. That's the change that I need. That's the transformation that I need. It's God in my miracle room. She brings him back. And you know the story, Elisha lays on her son, head to head, mouth to mouth. The boy comes back to life again. She says, take your son. But what amazes me is the power of a miracle room. This woman had one, and I reckon God wants every Christian believer to have one.